Hi, I'm Jeff Grayson. This is the second half of a two-part interview. The guys have left the locker room. The halftime adjustments have been made. I think we can expect nothing less than 110%. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, Chris Beyer. Hello. Tonight, we have a couple of prominent Facebook posters. It's uh, Dan Lunig and David Balistrieri. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we're back for part two. And so for part two, uh, we had this idea that we would, first we were talking about debating in the first half, and now we'll have a little cordial, but maybe a little hostile debate about uh, about the coronavirus it's uh, hot in the news and uh, it, once we do this we will have officially lied to all of our viewers because we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago and we said we're done talking about the coronavirus but here it is again so uh, it's kind of like the um it's kind of the go-to story it's like uh when there's nothing going on in sports and they talk about should pete rose be in the hall of fame you know it's like something you can always bring up so all right coronavirus so what do you guys think about the response should it be more of a federal unified consistent response or do you think it should be turned over to the state so that they uh, the states feel like they can do what's necessary for them and they can target it based on their own conditions or how, how are your thoughts what are your thoughts about that dave i'm going to ask you to start us off well i think just the whole whether it's state federal the decisions that were made because we've never really been through mm-hmm. this at least in modern times we're just <laughs> haphazard poorly thought out knee jerk. I mean, we've gone back and forth on mask wearing, on social dis. I mean, it's just, you know, the basic things, social distancing, wash your hands, wear your mask, where you're supposed to. But beyond that, I mean, the shutdown, how it was sort of conducted, I just, I guess just colossal screw ups all the way along. But what do you expect? I mean, we haven't been through this. We were ill prepared. I think maybe there should be just a federal oversight of the entire response as opposed to states are doing this, states are doing that. I understand the governors have that power to do that, but uh, I don't know, it just uh, obviously poorly handled from the get-go. Yeah, so my perspective, um, it's a federal response. It, it was early in the process, it was called a war. And I believe Trump said that, and you look back on the way we responded and he made a good decision in some uh, sense to you know stop travel from China, but there were other aspects of the response at the time, and and it's always a retrospective. As Dave said, we you know we'd never been through it, but we did have you know a plan in place at some point in time under the previous administration. It's pretty well documented that that plan was more or less anything that the previous administration did, uh, Trump undid or at least attempted to undo and. To me, at the end of the day, if it's a war, we fight war nationally, we have a federal response. And even if we don't tell the states you have to do this, the leadership aspect of it, the CDC at one point said, do not wear masks because we needed those masks for the nurses. And so the PPE was not there, you know, why we couldn't get enough PPE. The shutdown, I wish it had just been 50 uh, 50 states for 35 days. It was some states, yes, some states, no. Um, We all were taken by surprise. I mean, honestly, I had never thought and no one could have guessed that in February, 
we would be coming home in March and not leaving the house until uh, December. So is there going to be another shutdown? If every state is red and dark red and the hospitals are over full, I don't know what states are going to do if you don't have enough ICUs. I think the argument to that point is that uh, someplace like Montana, which didn't have anything going on because it's mostly rural initially, why should they shut everything down? Nothing's happening over here. Here's the challenge that really boils down. We all knew that when we were at home, that at least the theory was doing nothing seems like a bad idea and people didn't see the value of it because there was no fast spread. There is a little bit of, a, of proof post the Harley event in South Dakota. I want to call it Sturgis. That was 250 to 300,000 people, basically a monster super spreader event where people said, we're not masking, you can't ask us. To me, the whole idea that it became politicized at all is almost ludicrous. It's a public health issue. It's not about whether you are being a patriot to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Let's do this and make sure we get through it. I want the economy back. I want to go meet Dave for a beer. I want to, I'd rather have this conversation over a podcast set up where we're con- yeah. we can have a convivial discussion. Well, people can make the comment about Sturgis, but look at the rioting. Look at the looting. Look at the yeah. 20,000 no people out destroying, tearing down statues, and they're not the wearing masks. Or just the rallies in the street. So, yeah. so the rallies in the street, um, and I, I looked at a lot of video, and about 90 plus percent of those people were wearing masks. I'm on record, obviously, rioting and looting in any aspect is wrong. Going into a state house, armed to the teeth and yelling at somebody two inches from their face about how your right to wear a mask is, you know, a patriotic thing is to me, the whole thing needs to be basically ratcheted back to health issues. And obviously wearing a mask to me helps. I've heard people tell me it doesn't help. In fact, you get sicker from wearing a mask. And I'm like, Tell your doctor that and your nurse that, and I don't understand how that could even be a, an argument, but to me, it's just a matter of kind of respect, and I travel down here to St. Louis, so I'm in St. Louis right now, and somebody said, you're going to St. Louis? It's incredibly red. I'm like, I'm leaving my house. I'm getting in the pot of my car. I'm driving. I wear a mask when I leave the car. I wear a mask when I get back in the car. I wear a mask in and out of everywhere. In the hotel room, it smells like a hospital room. It's literally the cleanest place I've ever been. I think we can still be safe and wear masks and maybe it's everyone wear masks everywhere for 50 days and then we just knock down the numbers and then we can maybe get back to normal or we have to wait for 300 million vaccine cases to come and hope that people take those against disinformation that the vaccine's going to kill you. Um, so I'm going to take a vaccine and I'm hoping that enough people take it so we can all look forward to a nice uh, summer fest. I think my biggest beef with the whole coronavirus issue from the day it started is, you know, we live in a free society and to tell somebody that it's not okay to go to school or go to church or take this risk or that risk to me is a totally inappropriate American path. Did you say the, so, uh, so Dave, let me ask you a question. Um, in, in World War II, they were going to bombing raids on England and London. They were a free country, but in order to survive that, everyone was asked to go into the basement, turn off all the lights. Now, freedom says, well, I don't want to go in the basement, turn off all the lights. But to not do that means a city is literally visible. Yeah, you're talking about a pretty catastrophic focused event where I'm talking, going to 
to church or, you know, like it's okay to do one thing, but not another. It's okay to go to Costco, but not. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I honestly think leaving the big box stores open and leaving Costco's and Walmart's and Woodman's and all those places open and telling little mom and pop stores, that's questionable at best. We put- but I think it's not American to tell a business you're essential or not. It, every business is essential to those people that own it or work there and, you know, it was like when golf, when they banned golf when it first started, I was just like, well, what? Well, that, I, I agree with that. I mean, honestly, anything outdoors that keeps people in, a, in an area that they're safe, I mean, to me, seemed a little bit draconian. I do think it, from a city perspective, you know, especially in places like New York, where arguably they were hit harder first and everyone's like, oh, it's, it's a blue state versus a red state thing. I just don't think that any of this is blue state or red state. I think it was just a matter of, we should have all maybe come together as a country better and said, you know what, we're all going to sacrifice. It's not about politics. It's about health. I agree with you guys. And I want to go on record that as far as golf is concerned, I say close the back nine, go to temporary greens. I think that's the way that we can best deal with this. However, uh, one question I want to ask here is Biden is talking about this plan of 100 days of, of masking people up. What really can be done to convince people at this point that haven't worn masks to start wearing masks? Do you think Biden saying anything is going to change anything regarding people that haven't worn masks to this point? And let me just throw one more thing in. If people are not obedient, should there be fines? Should there be arrests? Should there be jail time? I'll go first and just say I, I do think the bully pulpit and political leadership that says, let's all do this because we're all in it together, will actually have some impact. And there will be people who say, no, I live in Racine County, man. I'm telling you right now, I live a mile from Dead Man's Saloon. And I can tell you this much, every Saturday and Sunday, Dead Man's Saloon lives up to its name. A lot of bikers show up. I haven't been there since it all started. And I love the place. They have axe throwing and everything else. This was not an ad for that. Don't go there on a Saturday or Sunday. It's not safe for most people. I think that a lot of people will take the cue. And ultimately, if you don't choose to do it, I don't really, I'm not going to say fine them. I mean, maybe that's what you have to do. I would say make it a thing that it's about being patriotic and helping the country get over this. The economy is tanking. I just saw numbers from NPD, which basically show that sales were down in in in-store purchases across the country, 25, 35, 45% in all the big towns and in every state between 10 and 15% in stores. And if we don't just buck up and we need $900 billion from the federal government, it's not socialism. It's just helping us fight a war that we need to get through because once we do that, the economy is going to come back roaring back. Um, the way it would have under. I mean, I'm in the staffing business. We're extremely busy. I mean, we have clients in manufacturing that are right back. You know, uh, they're dealing with the coronavirus as best they can. I mean, they're having quarantines and people missing work, and it's sort of you're you got to be fluid. And you know, you watch the NFL; they're playing right now. It's Tuesday night, and it's like we're going to do whatever we have to do. And I think as each business evolves through this coronavirus, you just sort of learn how to handle it. I think we're just, as a society, learning how to deal with it. So what's interesting is that, that the theory that we're learning how to deal with is, is on one hand, valid 100%. As we have seen the death rates, I think, go down, 
and the death rate is relatively low as a percentage of people in the population. But when you look at the number of people who died and the potential for the next three months to be extremely challenging, especially since we haven't seen what's going to happen from Thanksgiving and or Christmas coming up, I'm going to err on the side of, you know, as a manufacturer myself, our company manufactures in a number of different states, the supply chain issue challenges because of COVID are extremely detrimental to the overall business cycle. And Dave, you're right. There are more jobs available, but the challenge is getting people into those jobs. I'll say this at the end of the day, what's going to happen with most companies. And this is on a corporate basis. I work for a multinational based out of Korea and they look at us and they say, what the hell did you guys do? We, we shut this thing down by testing, you know, millions and millions of people a day. I mean, they tested everybody and then, then you can quarantine only the sick. We're waiting people get sick. And then yeah. I don't know, though. I mean, we're, we're masking more than ever. There's this big argument about people not masking. I don't know if it's where I hang out, or, but everyone's got a mask on. And then you know, the restaurant <laughs> thing, that's a whole different deal. I mean, you walk in, you sit down, allowed to have your yeah. mask off. And that's it's where I will yeah. say this, Dan, uh, you, you talked about this earlier. You said people need to buck up and going to David's point. I think as a nation, we have bucked up. Yeah, we're pretty uh, responsible, I think. Obviously, there's that bar that Dan's uh, advertising for down in Kansasville that uh, has all the breakouts going on. But by and large, people have done what they've done. And despite that, cases continue to rise. Might there be other factors, namely the weather, increasing cases? It tends to be the northern states that are cold right now. And maybe there's other factors other than just masks that are causing well, this. That's a really interesting question, and they, they, the, the facts are when they said when it would September, October, November, as the colder months come, people move indoors, you're in enclosed areas, you know, six to ten feet outdoors is perfectly fine. Right now, um, we don't have the types of uh, air control systems in most buildings that would be conducive to ensuring that people are safe, and that's just a fact. I think one of the biggest positive outcomes that is going to be from this is most school districts, especially in the northern tier, have turned to schooling at home, which most parents are absolutely like aghast that your kid is around Zooming with their teacher and it's really challenging. Some places have remained open and we've seen the kids are less. I thought um, she said today that schools should be open. I mean, there's no. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. My wife. Of uh, kids that get sick from COVID is so minute. Yeah, no. You have a better I'm chance of walking outside and getting struck by lightning than dying from COVID if you're under the age of 18. Totally agree. I believe the, I saw the, the top five places where COVID is being spread is not, schools are not on the top five list. It's, it's gyms, churches, restaurants, bars. I forget someone. Grocery stores. Actually, I've heard grocery stores were number one, but. And Trump rallies. Yeah, Trump rallies. Yeah, probably. They don't (laughs) wear masks there. But no, you're right. Schools are not not the issue. Um, But, you know, is that because a lot of schools are virtual? Um, So it's interesting because my wife uh, recently went back and, and like in Racine County, the kids are still going in. I said, well, how are you being safe? She said, we wear masks everywhere. The kids wear masks. And the kids are cool with it. They're like, so what, you wear a mask, you know, like. In the winter, you put on a, you know, a scarf, and so it's not really a big issue. I honestly think the virtual schooling is going to help the long term of education, not because it's virtual, 
but because most schools have taken on the gargantuan task of updating our infrastructure and education is key to a strong society. You know, smart uh, people make good decisions and kids will learn in any way they can. My only point with whether or not we do something that's drastic is, is it required because hospitals have ICU beds that are full? In California, they just took a drastic measure of locking down because they hit a certain percentage. I think it's 85% of ICU beds are full, and in some places it's going to exceed 100. Those are the people on the front lines. Those are the people we should really care about. So I can't wait till we get a vaccine, and every dose of vaccine in the first however many is necessary needs to go to those people to get them safe so that they can be there because it's really unfair. They're not getting paid the money that's necessary and to die for this where they could live. I'm going to wear a mask um, wherever I can to try to keep that from happening. That's a good little segue into, um, I talked about the vaccine. Do you guys think the vaccine should be mandated? And if so, should it be by governor, uh, government officials, by employers, by school districts, or not at all? No, I don't think the government should mandate the vaccine. I agree, but I think in some cases for schools and things that they may require that, but I, you know, the flu vaccine is only proven to work, I think 60 to 70% of the time. So I'm guessing this vaccine is probably in the same realm. So well, they're, they're saying this vaccine is 94 to 95% effective. And I think the reason sure. is, I, th- I thought about that too. The reason I believe is because of the flu vaccine, they're trying to target, they don't know what virus they're targeting. So they're right. just kind of shooting in. This like one a they might there. have more nailed down. Yeah. This yeah. one, they're going after this one specific, that's my theory. I, I don't know. I'm not, you know, yeah, I, so my disclaimer is I'm not a medical professional. But that's yeah, my they theory. Said it's that very they effective get, so mm-hmm. far. So yeah. yeah my, my perspective is it, it, government shouldn't mandate it. I, I, I truly think that um, it should be a personal decision. I will say this, corporations, um, especially multinationals and larger organizations, um, will probably mandate it on some level. Um, if you deal with the public and you want to ensure that your workers are safe and you mandate it for your workers, you have an at-will employment agreement with most employers if a hospital mandates it, I feel that that's fair because they're frontline workers. So maybe there's some levels that the government mandates. I, I don't think that it's necessary because I think that private capitalistic organizations can decide. It's probably going to piss some people off because they're going to say, why should companies get the decision? But they're paying money for people to work for them. And if you want to get those people to come every day, you should be able to mandate that. clients that give hair tests and, you know, that's part yeah. of the program, you know, so... I would hope that people who are skeptical today about the vaccine will do a lot of research. It appears that it's been safely done. Uh, It's been approved by Britain. Um, The ones that have been approved in Russia and elsewhere are not probably the ones that are going to be approved for here. The FDA has the gold standard worldwide. It's why we have such strong, healthy people when uh, we have good health care. So I don't want it to be mandated. I just want everyone to seriously consider getting it. Yeah. Are they all two-step, or I heard there's one that's just one shot? I think there is one that's one shot, but I, I think there's also the two-step that isn't ultra-cold. It's funny because this is akin to putting a man on the moon in 10 months, and you know this usually takes years. I do think we're going to find that there's some side effects that we are not aware of. So the 
as the science progresses, we should be ready to accept that some of these are probably going to be taken off the market a year after they're put on. They might save some people, but they also could possibly have some side effects. From what I understand, there's one that there's a shot and then the chaser. So what, uh, <laughs> what I want to talk about next here is business. Now, you guys are both involved in business here. Trump would trot out the line, which is not necessarily his line, but the cure can't be worse than the disease. Perhaps there are fates worse than death. Obviously, a lot of people are dying here from this virus, but if our economy is irreparably damaged to the point of impoverishing the nation going forward, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in the future, perhaps there might be a fate worse than the current problem in the sense that Again, in the future, our country might not be able to afford uh, health care, might not be able to afford programs that they have now because we're poor as a nation. How much do you fear overreacting to saving lives in the short run as opposed to worrying about the country in the long run? We'll start with Dave. I think the PPP loan program, you know, it was great. My business got one, but it was a little rough there for a while, but you know, you weathered through it. And, and I have several clients that have benefited from the virus. They went from making, you know, golf equipment to hand sanitizer stations, or in some cases masks, or they got creative. And uh, I think the restaurants, those are the ones, I mean, they probably just gave too much money to companies that really didn't need it in the long run, but they were forecasting. And like anything else, it's 2020 vision. You look back at it now and it's like, we just gave how many billions of dollars to essentially companies that didn't really need it. You know, they're going to be okay. They're going to, maybe they won't make a profit this year, but we gave them the money and they figured out a way to kind of weather through it. So that's in the past right now, that's in the rearview mirror. So we just have to deal with the trillions of dollars that were loaned and, you know, the forgivability is going on right now. I'm waiting for my forgivability. I put in my application and, but the bars and restaurants and their certain industries travel, they just got decimated. Hotels, spas, resorts. I mean, it just, they're probably, you know, it's that old 80-20 rule. And I think 20% of the businesses just tanked. Uh, that, David, we forgive you here at the podcast. Dan, uh, <laughs> Dan, is there such a thing as a lockdown that's too hard? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the. So a lockdown challenge is simply, it can't uh, end up killing people uh, for keeping them at home. The only way the lockdown scenario works, and it's pretty straightforward, we put money in the first round into businesses, which makes a lot of sense. There was a $1,200 check that went out to a lot of people. I would have liked to get one, but I didn't, and I didn't really care. I didn't need it. I'm still employed. It's cool. Other people need it more. From my perspective, of a $900 billion next step, the money should go to people who are going to potentially be part of what is arguably a huge possibility of people defaulting on rent or mortgages. And at the end of the day, landlords are just people who get money from people who live in their homes. If you don't have money to pay that and don't have money to pay for food, you go homeless and hungry. And as a country, we, I would argue that deficit spending at this point in time, obviously, it's probably not sustainable over the long period of time, but you do what you do during this period to ensure that people are healthy and safe until the vaccine, which by the way, should just be distributed at each 
you know, CVS and, and Walgreens based on a lottery, based on a number that people sign up for and they just get it and they go in and just everybody gets it. Maybe a scratch off ticket. I don't care. I mean, if we get out of the, we get out of the, the, the situation with fewer people dying, that's to me the most important thing. If we could save 100,000 people, spend $900 billion, it, it seems crazy to say, but that's chump change in the grand scheme of time. And Deficit has not killed us. When I was at Madison, my macroeconomics professor, I remember the guy, he was, he was renowned for the nation. He was, uh, I can't, his name was like Gengler or Gensler. And he talked about a thing that was going to kill our economy. And this is in 1984 was going to be our growing deficit. Well, the deficit's never been (laughs) bigger than it is now in my lifetime. And I'm still waiting for that moment when it tanks the economy. So So what I think, I don't want to, I don't want to wait for that. I'm not waiting for that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Come on moment. Come on. Where are you? (laughs) Well, David, you're, you're pro tanking the economy. Yeah. right. I think, I think, I think the interesting thing about the deficit is we look at that as a, is that there is a, time specific. I, I look at it as a home and you, you have a home, you have a mortgage and you pay that mortgage as long as you live there and somebody else buys that home, assumes a mortgage, takes on more debt, you die and you move on. At the end of the day, the debt is, the only way the debt tanks the economy is if we decide not to make sure that some businesses survive. And I mean, does Boeing need more money? Possibly, but should they get it? I don't know. Maybe just give the $900, million, $900 billion to people to spend in their neighborhoods on small stores and restaurants, and they just throw that money into the neighborhood. That goes to some people that David you know, employs or helps get jobs for. I mean, at the end of the day, people need to be kept solvent just to get through this. And by the way, we have capitalism. We'll survive this. I mean, There'll be some companies that go bankrupt. So would be it. There'll be others that pop up. And that's, to me, a better solution than letting people die. And I'm concerned we're going to get evicted by China in your home scenario. It could happen someday down the road. Well, I want to thank uh, David Balistrieri from the right and Dan Ludig <laughs> from the left. It really wasn't that contentious here tonight, guys. I know. I'm a little disappointed. It wasn't. I apologize. I was hoping more of a Jerry Springer type environment here, but uh, I'm sorry, Dave and I have known each other really long. We disagree, but we yeah. agree to disagree agreeably. That's right. I wish I would have known that before we brought you on, but that's. Yeah. I guess that's really good. <laughs> so, so neither neither of you have had this, right? No, I only to be honest, I only know seven people now that have had it. And well, you know eight. eight. Now we know eight. Oh yeah, you had it. Yeah. I've known a number of people and it's, um, it's unfortunate. I've actually known some people who, there's been a couple of folks I've known who died. So um, not, they weren't close friends, but I, I know who they are. And, I know of people who have died, but I don't. Yeah, that's the way I'm saying that. Okay. If people are close enough, one removed. So, but I don't wish anybody to be unhealthy and I wish you guys all the best. Yeah. And thank no, you for having you. us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks guys. Right. We appreciate your time. Have a good night. night. All right, have a good night guys. You Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast with our guest, New York-based comedian and actress, Lauren LaGiudice, when Jim tries to help her find a house here in Milwaukee. Ah, here we go. We've got a a, a ranch-style house, which is all one floor. It's got a nice veranda. It's got a a one-and-an-eighth car garage. It's something you don't see very often. It's got uh, three-quarters of a bathroom. Okay, just three-quarters of a bathroom. Yeah, one of the faucets is missing, I think. You gotta probably put that in.
You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.